This episode was made possible by our incredible patrons who faithfully support the work of amplifying the voices of spiritual abuse survivors. We are an extremely small team comprised of just two families with a passion for stories and image bearers. We committed early on to not monetizing any of the stories and rely solely on the donations of our Patreon community to operate. If you value this work and are able to contribute, you can join for as little as $5 a month. Another way you can support us is by following, rating, and reviewing the podcast. It only takes a moment, but it has a big impact on our reach. Thank you for daring to listen. We are the discarded few. We have been abused, gaslit, ignored, slandered, deceived, intentionally hurt, and betrayed. Our stories were manipulated, and our voices were stolen. We were left alone with all the confusion, grief, hurt, and pain. But today, we begin to reclaim our stories and find our voices once again. Because we matter. And being a body behind the bus is not the gospel. I am all about blessed subtraction. There, there is a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus. <laughs> and by God's grace, it'll be a mountain by the time we're done. You either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options. But the bus ain't gonna stop. The only way I can describe my experience is to compare it to the stories you hear of people that go diving in the ocean. They think they're swimming up towards the surface, but they're actually disoriented and swimming down and end up drowning. I was hired in 2015 as the worship leader for our new church. At the time, I was scared to step into a forward-facing role within the church because I was raised to believe that women were not to speak or lead in any church setting, aside from children's ministry, of course. Our pastor, although complimentarian, sat me down and talked to me about how valuable the gifts God gave me are, and that he wanted to see me grow, lead, and flourish as a sister in Christ. It was incredibly healing, and over the next few years, he discipled me into a confident, assured daughter of God. My husband and I never gave too much thought to the fact our church was Acts 29, But we had listened to a few Matt Chandler sermons and felt it must be different from the Mark Driscoll days if he was now leading the direction of the network. It wasn't until our first pastor left that I truly found out how rare and beautiful my experience as a woman in this network was. When our first pastor resigned, an executive level network member stepped in to help us navigate the hiring process. At the time, our church was devastated and exhausted to be losing our pastor, and we welcomed the help. During a leadership meeting, I remember him saying something like, I was actually an elder of the church you guys merged with when you acquired this building. I have a deep love for your church and never revoked my eldership, so technically I think I'm still an elder, if that's all right with you. (laughs) And we were grateful to have someone to lead us. We were a small, tight-knit, but growing church in the L.A. area that needed guidance. We only had a staff of five people. 
This Acts 29 executive put together a hiring committee based on leadership recommendations and helped to preach and make decisions while we were in the hiring process. He was actually great to work for and continued to empower me in my role as a worship leader, even inviting me to help lead a conference for the network. After months of searching, the staff was informed that the hiring committee had chosen a candidate and we would finally be gaining a new lead pastor. We were told he was excited to be working with a mostly female staff, that his passion was discipleship and evangelism, and that he had been praying about moving to a smaller church from his current Acts 29 megachurch in Reno. The congregation was ecstatic to have a new family and pastor to welcome into our flock, and we were so grateful to have found someone that appreciated our church culture. In the beginning of 2019, I was on a seven-week maternity leave for the adoption of our second son. I had never taken a solid break in four years of ministry at this point. In that time, our new pastor, who I'll call Pastor H from now on, came on staff. Upon my return, I immediately noticed that something was off with the staff dynamic. These were women and one man that I knew well and could sense that there was tension. People weren't speaking up or offering insight where they were normally a wealth of ministry gold. I vividly remember asking a question about a staff member, saying something like, why haven't you brought this up? The staff member's response was, can you bring it up? I'm really anxious to speak up. I chalked all this weirdness up to us all getting to know one another and was ignorantly hopeful that as we grew in relationship, we'd begin to see a better staff dynamic. I witnessed multiple uncomfortable conversations between Pastor H and staff members that seemed unnecessarily tense and combative, but was still believing that there must just be some sort of a communication breakdown and that Pastor H is a godly leader. Mind you, I believed this about Pastor H because of what I was told, not because of what I had witnessed. Pastor H went over job descriptions with each staff member and affirmed my former job description of worship leader that I was to shepherd the congregation through liturgy, disciple the worship team and members of the worship ministry, pray and continue educating myself to grow in my role as a leader. We were told he wouldn't be having one-on-one -on -one meetings with women, which severely limited my ability to work with Pastor H to create a cohesive Sunday service flow. I did my best to read ahead when he'd input sermon titles and work with that for liturgy and song choice. Come late October 2019, I went on a second maternity leave for the birth of our third son. Yes, we had babies seven months apart. It was a wild time. At this time, Pastor H and two other elders chose to hire Pastor H's wife to help with the volunteers on Sunday mornings. While I was out, I also got an email out of nowhere saying that the church had hired a coach for me and a list of what he would be doing. I was taken aback because I had only gotten positive feedback and asked for a meeting as soon as possible to understand the purpose of this coaching. I was told that it had nothing to do with my ability or performance and that it was to help with anything I wanted to grow in. Pastor H also admitted that it had been wrong to not give me any context and to just send me an email. I felt anxious because when I read the paperwork, it was all things that I felt I excelled in in ministry. But here was a man with the same level of experience coming in to help me with it. The areas I felt I needed guidance and teaching in were not listed as things that I would be getting help with. But regardless of this, when my coach arrived in February of 2020, my husband and I became fast friends with him and welcomed him with open arms. 
He's an extremely talented worship leader, and I was excited to gain his perspective. In March of 2020, like much of the world, we were placed on a lockdown due to COVID-19. I immediately started working with my team to come up with safe and legal ways to continue bringing worship to our church family. My husband was laid off at this time and was able to study how to create videos, and my family's workload grew immensely. The staff meetings also became horrific to attend during this time. My husband noted to me one day, because they're over Zoom, so he witnessed them, that Pastor H looks miserable around the staff. It's like a different person from Sunday mornings. The staff received an email that basically said he didn't want us speaking about anything unless we're directly asked by him in the meeting or had gotten prior approval. So there was zero collaboration or planning happening during the middle of this pandemic. Multiple staff members tried to help get things organized or find connection points with the congregation, but that seemed to only serve to irritate Pastor H more. We began to notice he would passive aggressively mention issues with staff during his sermons that only the staff would pick up on. During this time, Pastor H's wife was given a large chunk of my role with no communication to me, causing unclear boundaries and authority structures. When I sought clarity about this, like any other thing I had sought clarity from my pastor on, I was met with murky answers, belittling, gaslighting, and was even told I was going against the elders once. This made me immensely anxious and broke my heart. I asked my pastor if he thought I would ever knowingly go against the elders, and he stated no, It was his fault for not communicating directives clearer, but proceeded to then tell me, I only knew this much, and he held up his fingers to show an inch, and that the elders knew this much, and he spread his arms wide, and that I was never going to be able to know what they did. So I needed to work with the small amount of knowledge that I had. I felt set up for failure with no clear reason why. If I asked him about my employee performance, he would tell me I was doing great, but then would have his wife write me when I unknowingly would do something he didn't like. At this point, I had been gaslit, micromanaged, belittled, and was struggling to not feel like a complete failure of an employee. So my husband suggested I email the three elders and ask for role clarification. I sent an email that stated I was aware my role was changing and that I'd just like a sit down with them so that I could be sure I was working within their bounds as I made decisions regarding the worship ministry. About 45 minutes after sending this email, I received a phone call from Pastor H. He was breathing erratically and stated that the purpose of this phone call is to let me know that my behavior was unacceptable, that it was going on my employee file, my permanent reference, and my permanent record. When I started to ask what I had done to upset him, he responded that I could not speak and that if I wanted to say anything, I could put a meeting on the books for the next week. He continued to lob insults at me and belligerently yell as I sat quietly. He told me that he had moved to Los Angeles, was planning to be here a long time, and that he was building a church to sustain that. He told me my entire job as a worship leader was to create beautiful music on a Sunday. That's it. (laughs) At this point of the conversation, I calmly told Pastor H that in fact was not my full job and that he had affirmed my job description just months prior. He told me that we would meet and rewrite my job description. I responded that I no longer felt comfortable or safe meeting with him alone. He told me he didn't feel safe either, and that I needed to know I had broken his trust and it would take a long time to repair it. I told him I'd be bringing in another elder to help facilitate conversation, and that I was so sorry that his trust had been broken. That had not been my intent. 
He said, fine, chastised me for keeping him from his family after 5 p.m. and then hung up on me. My husband, unbeknownst to me, had been listening through the door because he could hear the pastor yelling. He burst into the room and told me to take notes immediately. He told me that what had just happened was verbal and emotional abuse. He had worked in the corporate world with narcissistic CEOs in the past and walked me through my body's reaction. I can't put words to how jarring it was to be talked to by a grown man the way that that pastor had spoken to me. I feel strongly that had we been in person, he could have been violent. He was so enraged. I was shaking and crying. My husband said, I know it feels like you were just in a car crash. He urged me to push through and to call another elder and to explain what just happened. The elder I called was and still is someone I respect greatly. He was also completely taken aback by what I was telling him because he'd seen no issue or reason for that email to cause the reaction I was telling him I had just experienced. He said he would call Pastor H and get to the bottom of it. I heard nothing for two days. I was emotionally distraught, not knowing about the state of my job, but also reeling from being treated so poorly. Two days later, after hearing nothing, I received an email informing me that I was to be at a meeting three hours later. It unexpectedly said that the high-level Acts 29 executive from the beginning of my story could join us, although he did not end up attending this first meeting. At the meeting, Pastor H expressed that we would not be discussing anything ministry-related and that the only agenda item was for him to apologize. He then asked if I forgave him and if we could reconcile. I told him, of course I forgave him, but I didn't know how to really reconcile without naming and working through the specific statements he had made towards me and my character. He said he believed we had a different philosophy of ministry. And I asked him if he knew what my philosophy of ministry was, because I didn't. <laughs> and he said he didn't know, and another elder cut us off, stating that we need to respect Pastor H.J.'s wishes to not speak on anything ministry-related. He said it was very clear that we needed further meetings to continue reconciliation. The whole meeting lasted around 10 minutes. I left hopeful, but also feeling like my voice didn't matter in this situation. No one asked me what I had experienced or even how I was doing. I heard nothing for two weeks and then was fired in a meeting that included the Acts 29 executive, who apparently had never stopped being an elder still at our church, although he hadn't been active for over a year. I asked why and was told that they weren't prepared to give me an answer to that question. I was also informed that previous meetings had been recorded without my knowledge, which is extremely illegal in California. I was never asked what happened for details. I had even specifically stated that there was abuse to which no one took me seriously. In the middle of a pandemic, I lost a job at a church that I deeply loved. The elders never informed the church that I had been let go. I had to tell people in my ministry because I was no longer able to lead their Bible study as their leader. For the next six months, I was silent, speaking only with those that knew directly what had happened or came to me to ask questions. I lost community and friends as my reputation and character were drugged through the mud by Pastor H. Two other staff members resigned, specifically stating spiritual abuse and toxic leadership, at which point Pastor H was put on a mysterious sabbatical for mental health reasons. A sabbatical that was supposed to be just a few weeks stretched months. Now congregants were coming forward with their own stories of abuse, lies, manipulation, and toxic leadership. An elder resigned, specifically stating these behaviors in an email to the entire congregation. Pastor H. responded 
in a churchwide email blaming me and former staff for this narrative. He also claimed that he was being harassed and bullied and informed the church that all ministries, aside from his preaching, would completely cease and that he was bringing in a third party to investigate. This third party was Pacific Church Network, and it turns out that the same high-level Acts 29 executive that was magically an elder of our church again is also the vice president of Pacific Church Network. Over the next three months, that panel of men met with five of us that had alleged abuse. They gave each of us one 15-minute hard-stop interview, did not even ask us to tell our stories. They held one town hall in which the church was rebuked and then had a final meeting in which they called the congregation goats, not sheep. Said Pastor H was a good preacher and therefore not disqualified. Stated things like it's foolish to listen to witches, etc. And told the whole congregation, which at this point was in almost full agreement that H was unhealthy and needed to step down for at least a season, that they could either submit to his autocratic leadership style or leave. 98% of the congregation chose to leave. Acts 29 has now brought in another pastor to partner with Pastor H in an exciting brand new plant. And our former staff and congregation is left to pick ourselves up from the ruins of what was a vibrant, beautiful community. While unsuspecting newcomers and new staff have no clue of the abuse that has ensued. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome. My name is Jay Coyle, and with me is Jonna Harris. Hey. And you guys are listening to the Bodies Behind the Bus podcast, a podcast committed to being a platform for Acts 29 church abuse survivors to reclaim their voices and stories. And hopefully through these stories, sharing these stories, we hope that abuse victims and survivors will find a place where they feel heard, known, and loved. Yes. So the story you just heard was from Jonna, and it was from our church, a church Jonna and I both attended, which was an Acts 29 church uh, here in California. If you don't know what Acts 29 is, it is a global church planning network that was formed by Mark Driscoll. That's right, that Mark Driscoll, <laughs> the former pastor of Mars Hill. But our church was not Mars Hill. It was very small. It was a vibrant church with a strong community. But as you heard, after Jonna came forward with her documented allegations of spiritual and verbal abuse, other stories of abuse surfaced within the church. It was a gut punch for us, especially for those that had been with the church like Jonna for over five years. But the members rallied behind the victims like Jonna and others that came forward, and we believed that those who were responsible for the abuse would be held accountable. But... As you heard, after numerous failed attempts to expose the truth and hold the abusers accountable, the only thing left to do, unfortunately, was to leave the church. So why are we doing this? Well, that's a great question. And this is really where our story starts. We think of this podcast as a journey, a journey to recover the bodies that have been discarded or run over by the Acts 29 Church Planning Network or Acts 29 Churches. Each one was left for dead and silenced by the lies and intimidation of church leaders. 
On the episodes that follow, we will do our best to provide a space for church abuse victims to find their place and share what they've experienced and witnessed and where they are today. We will also provide time to discuss resources that have been helpful for recovery and bring awareness to warning signs of church abuse uh, within Acts 29 and other churches as well. So, Jonna, I want to jump into your story if we can. Yes. So first, (laughs) thank you for honoring us with your story. Uh, And I've heard it many times. And I thought this this rendition of the story was great. Thank you. Um, It was sad, but it was great. It really helped us understand what you went through uh, and what you experienced. Uh, So my first question for you is, can you expand a little bit about how you thought your voice was stolen during this process? During this whole process, up until now, where (laughs) I've started sharing a little bit more publicly uh, what I experienced, my boss and church elders held the keys to my story, Um, particularly because... In our church, um, and I do believe this is kind of common throughout the network, gossip is very harped on um, as being like this really crucial, we void gossip at all costs. Um, And what gossip turns into, the definition of it, is just saying anything, (laughs) anything that is hard, basically, that's going on. If you say it um and it's about someone else no matter how it's affecting you it's considered gossip which is not what gossip is i have learned since that if you're telling the truth about something that is um going an abuse that's happening to you that's not gossip um but because i was so afraid of sinning against my brothers um i kept pretty quiet because i didn't want to slander them or gossip or all these things that are thrown out um, during that whole process of trying to figure out how to right the wrongs that were happening within our church. Um, Matthew 18 was a big way that my voice was stolen because um, anyone that did step in to help during that whole time their first thing was like, well, did you go to him (laughs) one-on-one? Yes. Have you gone to him with others? Well, I mean, I met with him with the elders. Um, Well, where do we go from there? It was never like good enough. The Matthew 18. And we were were talking about that, right? Like when they say Matthew 18, uh, which is, you know, go to your brother if you have a problem with him or your sister. Um, What's interesting there, right, is that he was your abuser. So they were essentially asking you to go to your abuser and relive your abuse yeah. uh, and somehow find a path forward there, which is total absurdity. Yeah. Uh, Without a witness, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so there's no accountability for him to treat me in a godly way as a shepherd or boss or all the above, all the titles he had. Um, and not just that, but like, I was explicit with him um, on our phone call. I no longer feel safe. I'm bringing in someone else. I did bring in a second person and then the elders were all with me. Um, But it was just so clear that they were there to smooth things over for the pastor and not um, protect me or anybody else in the church. Um, And then also whenever any would come forward and ask questions of um, the elders. They would all point them back to 
Pastor H, and um, he would get to tell his, like, vague version of my story that purposely left out, like, huge details um, would make it seem like, oh, you know what, she, we love her so much. Like, he'd talk about me like, oh, she's my sister. But then he would, like, very slyly start adding in these lies about me. But he would do it in a way that was, like, so masterful that people would walk away feeling like, oh, he loved her. She just wasn't the right fit or (laughs) she just has some work to do. All of us are on a journey. And so like my character was being drugged through the mud. But for me to call that out publicly and own my story, that was me going against the elders version of their story, which was hard. So I just didn't have a voice in it. Yeah, that's that's crazy. So in essence, your voice not only was uh, muted, but when you did speak, uh, it was misrepresented, uh, misinterpreted, lied, lied about. Um, so whatever you did say didn't matter. It didn't matter to those around you um, because they were just going to take your words and and repurpose them for whatever they wanted the outcome to be. Yeah, unfortunately. So you talked about uh, in just a minute ago about the phone call. And I thought that was very telling in your story about the phone call mm. that you had with Pastor H., uh, and, you know, unfortunately, I think phone calls or meetings like that are all too common uh, in church abuse um, situations, specifically what we've been hearing with other Acts 29 stories of church abuse. Can you talk to us about what your body felt on that phone call with Pastor H? Yeah. In the moment, I was just like trying to de-escalate this grown man who's yelling at me. I think I even mentioned in my story that Like, I felt like he could have been, like, violent if we were in person. He was just so angry. So my gut, and I think this is pretty common for women in general. If you're around a man that's being very escalated, your goal is just to de-escalate and protect and survive, you know? So I think I just immediately went into this, like, de-escalate, calm him down as I was just like in this ball of confusion. And then um, when my husband walked in and saw me and was like, you look like a little girl cowering in the corner right now. Like, that's not my wife. That's not who I know. He used the word, like, you feel like you've been in a car wreck. He had experienced that before to an extent. So he knew, like, I can see you're shaking right now. He was able to verbalize the things that I was experiencing physically, which is crazy that my body responded physically. Like I actually shook for probably 24 hours after that phone call because I was so rattled. I think there was a big part of me that felt, I felt wronged, but I also felt like, what did I do? I was searching a lot within myself. Like, how did I make this happen? Or how am I responsible for this? And now I can say, I know I wasn't. And there's no excuse for the behavior that I experienced. But in that moment, when it's your boss, not just your boss, but your pastor and your spiritual leader that you just trust because they have that title, not necessarily because they earned it, especially in our case, I was just trying to figure out how this went sideways or what is my contribution to this, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I've no, it makes perfect sense. And I think what's interesting, right, in your story, you say, really, that the phone call was a result of an email that you sent th- to the elders, which included the pastor, about clarification of your role because you were confused because his wife 
had taken half of your job, basically, or <laughs> yeah. half of your responsibilities with no explanation. Yeah. And I've read that letter. That letter was very kind, very loving. It was not offensive in any way. It was legitimately like, I want the best for this church and I want to help. How can I help? And that is how you were treated, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and that's what's shocking, right? Like, he knew what he was doing. Yeah. He knew what he was doing because you went inward on yourself to blame yourself. He knew that would happen. Yeah. And the just the wickedness and evil of that, the intent, and that was intent. Yeah. It was intent for him. He meant to do that to you. It's just beyond me. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that's just crazy. Now, did you at any time think about calling him back after that, or were you anxious the days that followed? Or I definitely did not want to call him back. I wouldn't either. Um, <laughs> I d- maybe call him back and say some other things, but <laughs> I was super anxious. I mean, I, I those couple days, I've like pieced together my own version of events of what happened in those next couple days before he had his weird apology call with me and the elders. And I honestly think what he was doing those two days is like checking off a checklist of ways that what he had to do so he could fire me with a get out of jail Mm. free card. Like he has no, doesn't have to have any responsibility. It doesn't have to have reasons, literally doesn't have to have reasons. He can fire me just to fire me as long as he says sorry for this very few specific things that he wanted to say sorry for. I immediately knew he was not a safe person to have a conversation with alone, potentially ever again, like I, because I never wanted to experience that again. And I never wanted to experience that without another witness again, especially. And how crazy is that that you're saying that you didn't feel safe with a pastor talking to everybody? Just think about that for a second. Like, We've all had experiences where we don't feel safe around people. Maybe there'd be a boss or a friend. Some of us, unfortunately, maybe it's a parent, which is equally sad, Mm -hmm. but a pastor who's supposed to be the chief shepherd, uh, who hands uh, not only a shepherd to his flock, but a shepherd to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you don't feel safe talking to this person. That is absurd. (laughs) Like, totally absurd. (laughs) It is. It's so sad. And it should shock all of us. Yeah, it's sad. It's crazy. Well, all right. So after, uh, so as your story came, you came forward with your story. So about this time, you you were at a place where you had to share your story. You, you really did. Um, you really, uh, honestly, because uh, you know, I my family walked through most of this story with you, and mm-hmm. and and only a few people knew prior to you being fired what was really going on. You really tried to resolve it uh, and reconcile with with this pastor and. And um, and and try to find a place to move forward. Mm-hmm. But after you were fired, um, you know, you were forced to share your story because nobody told us that you were fired. It was like you were just gone, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is also weird. It's so weird. <laughs> so talk to us about when you did come forward with your the story with other church members or as you were a worship leader, mm-hmm. uh, your your staff, yeah. you had staff under you. What was uh uh, what was the reaction from those members or, or fellow staff members that you talked to? The worship team was extremely confused because <laughs> yeah. we, uh, like, it wasn't like I was processing this journey with anyone on the team and anything that we had, anyone had been hearing from the elders or Pastor H even in particular was like so much praise for 
the ministry and the service that people were doing um, to the church, especially during a pandemic. So (laughs) they were just like, what? (laughs) Because like a normal firing, I haven't been in a corporate job ever actually. (laughs) But from just my husband, I like if you are let go, your email gets shut down, a like blast goes out to everybody, maybe not giving like the nitty gritty details. But I mean, (laughs) you inform the team that there's been a staffing change, but none of that happened for me. So we had like our weekly meeting planned for the worship team. We would get together and pray and we were reading through a book together. And I had to get on that call and be like, guys, I'm not your leader anymore. <laughs> I was let go. And I did say in that, um, I believe there's a, like unresolved issues between me and Pastor H and that there is sin there and it's not on my part. And I informed the elders that I told them that, um, I said that um, the best thing that they could do is try to win their brother. Mm. Not for me to get my job back. I knew already I did not want to work for him, but I did want to see the health of our church. And I wanted to feel like my church family was going to be loved and protected by their shepherd. And I knew that like healthy steps needed to happen with him towards me in order for him to be healthy, if that makes sense. Mm. So yeah, I, kn- I knew for him to be right with the Lord in his position he was in, there was work to be done. And if people were going to be mad, I didn't want people to leave the church. I wanted them to stay. Uh, like you said in the beginning, like our church was such a vibrant community that is so close and tight knit. So the worship team was just encouraged to go to him and be like, I think you need to reconcile with her. You need to follow through on this. Um, And he did not receive that well. He told everybody basically just leave or deal with it in a really kind way. And he also told the worship team, um, he told the worship team, I'm not going to meet with you together. The worship team wanted to meet, right? They wanted to meet with him. And he's like, I don't want to meet with you together. I'll meet with you one-on-one, which is, which is just stupid. Yeah. And, um, and then, and that's when he said, you know, if you don't like it, those who reached out, you can leave. What What was interesting about that comment you just made is that even after you were fired, you were shepherding the people underneath you, trying to uh, shepherd, you were worried about their souls and where they were, and you were still being a shepherd to them, um, which is, which is amazing considering the, the stress and the abuse that you were under uh, and you were pointing them back to you know, really trying to find a way to reconcile not only the, what happened to you, but stay with the church, which is just beyond me um, <laughs> that you would do that. <laughs> Thank you. That speaks volumes. I think yeah, there's like yeah. the fight or flight reflex in people or fawn, right? Fight, flight or fawn. And yeah. I've learned yeah. that I think after processing for a second, I'm definitely a fight person. And I was like, I love these people. And I don't know. I think it was a mixture of my like inner just need for justice for God's people and the situation. I don't know. It was a combo, but I really didn't want to see my church family experience what I experienced. And he told multiple people just to leave if they weren't happy with what he was doing. Um, You know, I talked to him and he he did not say to me to leave, Um, uh, but he did. I talked to other people as well. And they were told, if you don't agree, just leave. Yep. Which to me is like, I mean, this kind of goes to where the 
the bodies behind the bus mm-hmm. um, comes from because, you know, John and I, in our opinion, believe that, you know, all of this is really sewn into the culture of Acts 29 Absolutely. about, you know, get off the bus. Get, if you're not on the bus, you know, we'll run you over. Yep. Uh, and it's totally unbiblical. Um, you know, uh, John, uh, it's ne- I don't think it's ever it's never the gospel to look at someone and say, you're not welcome here. Yeah. That's uh, just, or insane. you're only I welcome mean, here if you look this way, agree with me. or if you agree with me, if you <laughs> yeah. don't ask questions, if you don't yeah. push back at all, which is if you comply and sit in the front row and watch me do my sermon, you're yep. welcome here, which is just crazy. It is so. crazy. All right, so let's talk about the the third party that was brought in, and and we could probably talk about this in the whole episode. But I I I, I talk to the third party as well, and and I you know when when we go through kind of my story, I'll I'll talk more about that. But um, when they were brought in, they did not at all seem open to listening to you or any other allegations. <laughs> no. Uh, wh- why do you think that was? I. 110% full-heartedly believe they were there just for PR image control to make uh, Pastor H look good, to smooth things over. There was zero, zero investigation that happened. Um, no regard for anyone that spoke up during their time there. Um, even like harmless statements were met with rebuke a lot of the times. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't, (laughs) I don't think they were helpful. I think they were harmful actually to a lot of people. Yeah. You know, actually what was interesting is that I was in, they did a couple town halls. I know you said they did one or two town halls, but they also did those. I think there were two town halls Mm -hmm. before they did the big, like, uh, they did a big preview and then they did a recap at the end. And in between, I think they did two town halls Mm -hmm. and I was at one of them. I think it was two or three. I can't remember. And I was at one of them. It was the first one. And uh, we go through uh, all of our complaints. And I can tell you that, uh, not complaints, it's the bad word. It's not the correct word. (laughs) Concerns is the better word. We go through all of our concerns. And they were legitimate concerns. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I was probably about 20, 20 people were in the room with me. I would say that 98% of the people in the room had concerns. I mean, there was, he was caught in a, directly in a lie during that town hall. Yeah, it was just like lies and uh, and all of this stuff. And at the very end, we're all, um, uh, you could tell that the panel had had enough Mm -hmm. of us and we're we're ready to to kind of move on to the next group. And there was a guy who we didn't recognize because our church was so small, we recognized everybody. Mm -hmm. He stood up and said something and he basically just rebuked us. And he was was just in the room, uh, been listening the entire time. And I was actually sitting behind him. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him and I said, excuse me. I said, who are you? I said, <laughs> well, I've never seen you before. Yeah. So if you don't mind me asking, you have a lot of opinions. And he actually attended one of the churches of one of uh, from one of the guys on the panel. So yep. he was a member of the church of one of the guys on the panel, which was just total insanity. And that guy mm-hmm. actually stayed on all the other town halls to comment, Yep. which it should show everybody that it was a stack deck from the beginning mm-hmm. and that, you know, there was no intention on really listening or understanding. It was more about checking the box um, for those town halls. So it was mind blowing to watch like the, ex- it was. the, <laughs> the experience I had personally with pastor H then seeing it large scale with an entire church getting gaslighted was insane by a full panel of pastors 
which was, it was horrifying to me to just yeah. see that not only <laughs> is this behavior bad one-on-one, but then to bring in a whole group of men that were supposedly there to sh- be shepherds and protect, to gaslight an entire congregation and be- the whole time was just, you guys are goats, not sheep. Well, they're and they're all pastors too. Yeah, and 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 the entire time they were not interested in, in listening. Not at, at all. all. It was more about yeah. It was more about, it was more about. They asked questions that were uh, essentially p- to put you in a box mm-hmm. to get the answers that they wanted, and then they would just stop. Mm-hmm. Um, they were just there to write the document and move on. So, yeah. which is sad. Um, all right, so John, I mean, after all of this, where are you today with your faith, and uh, what do you think about church? Are you going to church? Will you ever go to church again? Yeah. <laughs> so um, I think there's a few aspects to where where I'm at right now, or, or parts that are playing into me rejoining our family, rejoining a church. I didn't. I don't think I said this in my story, but. Um, it affected our whole family so deeply to watch just failure after failure of people who were supposed to be godly and shepherds and love us. And we also, during that whole season, lost community as much as the church did come around at the end. Like there were there were relationships and friendships that are broken that will never be the same for our family from that church because that's what how in <laughs> It's really insidious how when your voice is stolen and then it's a spiritual leader or pastor that is in control of the narrative who has narcissistic tendencies, the way that he can just infiltrate your entire life (laughs) and just spin every little cog to make it work towards his narrative and his story. It's really hard to even put to words like what it looks like for us to rejoin community again. And that's been a crazy journey for my husband and I too, because um, we left LA, we moved back to Arizona and um, I've never, we've never gone somewhere and not planted roots at a church, committed to being friends and family with people. So we don't even know how to make friends right now (laughs) because we don't, we're just so gun shy about um, being a part of a church community again. I would say my relationship with God has been, I've never felt like I lost my belief in him, but there have been things that I have lost that I've had to work towards regaining. I'm still working towards regaining. It's really hard for me to open my Bible the past year. I don't know necessarily why, but I just feel really triggered by it. That's unfortunate because I love God's word and I don't want that to be there, but that has been affected. I can very, very rarely hear like a worship song or worship um, in music right now just because it just, it. I don't know how to explain it. It's just triggering. That's the only word I can say. And then those things make me mad that I get triggered by them because I love those things. So then I get angry because (laughs) I'm like grieving that I've lost these things that I have to work to regain now that I love. And it's frustrating to feel like that was taken from me. 
But I do feel hopeful as well. I know that sounds really negative, but I also feel like hopeful that God's going to redeem it. I don't know that I'll ever be able to be in ministry again, which is another big grief for me because I really loved my job. But I just can't fathom working for another pastor right now, which sounds so bleak, but it was just so much failure. No, I think that's fair. And I mean, you you were great at what you do, did and, and you're great at what you do still, because I know you're still doing worship music, not Thanks. for a church, but uh, you and Aaron are still doing it. And um, what, was sa- what was the saddest part for me about when you talk about communities is uh, the church we went to, you, your family, um, especially because you were on staff, you guys were really kind of the, uh, the lifeblood or the, uh, you were one of the cogs or the main reasons that that church operated and was known for the type of community it was. You guys were the mm-hmm. first to welcome people, invite them over to your house, uh, be that type of uh, love and openness that uh, all the churches, uh, all churches should have. So it's sad to hear you say that, that you feel like that's been taken from you. Yeah. And, and, and also just makes me lament the fact that, that you, you're such a talented person and, and, and you're more, and it's more, we're mourning it. We should mourn it. We mm-hmm. should mourn what was stolen from you. And yeah. uh, it's not fair. It's not fair to you. Um, it's just really sad. Yeah. Um, so through all of this, have you had any types of resources or books, anything that's helped you uh, to understand not only what happened to you, but how to work your work yourself through the trauma and the abuse you went through? Yes. So I was really blessed that I was in therapy during most of the heavy abuse that I experienced. Um, And my therapist was actually really key in being able to say, oh, that sounds like narcissistic abuse that you're experiencing. Um, She did not diagnose. Obviously, he's not her client, but she was able to say, like, these are narcissistic abuse tactics that you're experiencing here and give me tools and conversation, which actually probably ultimately led to my demise. (laughs) Um, But during that time, I was able to do EMDR and I got to do a couple of sessions um, afterwards as well. And that was huge for me. And I don't know if you know what that is, but it kind of just like re- calibrates your brain to not be as triggered by memories or behaviors even. So I was able to kind of like de-escalate myself and regulate during a lot of the most intense parts of my experience, which was huge and has helped me be a little less triggered since then. So I would say EMDR was huge. Again, what's so frustrating about anything with church abuse is a lot of it happens in staff context, so we lose our income. <laughs> and for people, like, luckily, I was already seeing someone for something else that the churches was able to cover. My sessions, I had a couple left after um, I was fired that had been prepaid. So that's how I was able to do it. But had I had to do it on my own, I wouldn't have been able to get the therapy that was really helpful in starting me on the right path to processing and healing. Chuck DeGroat has been huge for me. Um, he has a book called When Narcissism Comes to Church, I think. Narcissists Come to Church? Uh, I think that's it. But, you know, right, so on that point about, like, the therapy with oh, the church. Oh, sorry, yeah. It, no, 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 I, that's a great. I want to talk about Chuck DeGroat. But at the end, right, when you had been fired and let go, no one reached out to you no. from the church to find out how you were doing, 
Mm-mm. or offer any type of counseling or support, correct? Correct. I was completely shut out. I mean, I emailed the elders a couple times being like, are we going to follow up with this? Like, what's going on here? There's like clear sin issues. Yeah. Um, and no one responded but Pastor H. And so I and I can speak from like a professional setting. I mean, I've been corporate America my entire life and and part of, you know, building teams and hiring people and firing people and laying people off. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time I've laid somebody off or I've had to fire somebody, I always reach out to them, mm-hmm. even if they don't want to talk to me, just to check in on them because I just want to be, I was at once their their leader and, yeah. and uh, their manager or boss or what have you and just checking in because sometimes just reaching out is, is key to help for transition. So, you know, take out the 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 insanity of the spiritual abuse and the uh, how that just plays with your brain and and causes all these layers of trauma uh, that a normal firing or um, laying off may not yeah. uh, because it doesn't have that that it doesn't have that spiritual abuse uh, layer mm-hmm. but uh, look at just the straight employment like you were an employee and they didn't even care to reach out to you to say <laughs> no. we let you go. Uh, how you doing? Yeah, uh, which is just crazy. It was, and, you know. Crazy. I mean, this is and and we were this church was a part of the Acts Twenty Nine network, and you know, Acts Twenty Nine could have reached in with all of its resources to say this employee was transitioned off. We want to help them with counseling, career development, what have you. But that mm-hmm. wasn't done either. It's just um, it's just a very interesting place. Yeah, and, I actually uh, very interesting thing to be. I did get like a job offer. In the midst That's of right, all you this, got a job offer. I did. Okay, well then, that, yeah, we can, we can count that. It was, as a, yeah. As a I don't want to like out. say I didn't. It was five months after I was let go. Um, the high level Acts twenty nine person uh, finally heard my story, um, and felt that it was credible and said, "I can get you a job. I know you're great at what you do." Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. I mean, we'll it was, yeah, <laughs> but what ended up happening was my, my interview was about how I can tell my story in a way that doesn't offend the next church I work at. Okay. Well, we need to talk about that. And it's been a further. Because that's insane. It was insane. Okay. It actually like further traumatized me. I don't have anything <laughs> against the person who interviewed me, but it was just like, Oh, okay, so this just it felt yeah. icky. If that, if that makes oh my sense. gosh! All right, that's that's a TBD. Yeah. That's not a TBD. That's it. We're gonna come back to that. <laughs> uh, so let, let me. So you talk about Chuck DeGroat, which uh, amazing, amazing book. Any any other th- resources you'd want to mention for those out there? Listening? Yes. Um, if you don't feel like you're ready to read a book, too, he has great blog posts that are just like quick, like two minute reads. Um, a church called Tove is amazing and was super yeah, healing for me to read um as much as it's heavy because you're seeing abuse scandals that have happened publicly or been brought to light publicly um it was healing to hear stories and see the similarities if that makes as crazy as that sounds like to be able to say oh what happened to me was abuse and this author is laying out in these stories, how this was abuse was helpful because again, you're rewriting like, I am not a crazy person. Those are probably my two main ones. Diane Langberg is awesome. She has a great book uh, as well as blog posts. She's also a great Twitter follow. So 
those are the main things. Therapy and those those few books and authors were really helpful for me. Yeah, Church Call too. I finished that. That's a <clears throat> that is an amazing amazing yes. book. So if you're listening to to us, uh, the authors of that book, we'd love to talk to you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, that would be great. So, uh, I have two more questions. I'll just put them into one. So, yeah. what would you say to those to others out there who are listening, who've either witnessed or experienced this level of abuse, you know, emotional, spiritual, mm-hmm. or verbal abuse? And then, what do you want to say to leaders of churches right now? <laughs> yes. Um, well, first, I would just say I'm so sorry that you experienced this too. You're not alone in experiencing it, which is actually. It's kind of comforting and then really not comforting at the same time because you don't want anybody else to experience it. I think what I would say is you're valuable and you matter and your story matters. And as much as these people have tried to make you feel like you don't matter (laughs) or you're less than them, um, that's not what God says. And I know it doesn't feel like that right now, but it's important that you hear that even if you don't feel it. And then to leaders, I've uh, I've probably said this to you, Jay, like four billion times, but I, I can't stop thinking about the image of a shepherd and how intentional that is that God uses that imagery to explain what a pastor is to be a shepherd. And they're dirty and smelly and they're not the who's who of society ever. And I just would want to encourage pastors, are you aiming to be a shepherd or are you aiming to be a king of your church? And if you're not aiming to be a shepherd, uh, step down. (laughs) Good point. Get out. (laughs) Step down and find another career. (laughs) Yes. Sit underneath someone. Um, And for those of you that that are shepherds or do love your flock well, get out of this network because I believe you've been discipled very poorly in leadership. And also, it's your job to protect. It's not just your job to teach. And I think that has been so harped on, especially within Acts 29. You got to be a good businessman and you got to be good at teaching. And those are the top two. You have to be, I think they have something called like an entrepreneurial assessment or something like that. Yeah, because Jesus was a businessman, right? And he was a classic yeah. businessman. Yeah. <laughs> he, he seemed like a great 50, 50, businessman. Yeah, that's what he did half of his time, <laughs> right? And he really wanted everybody to be his disciples. That's insane. They have an entrepreneurial entrepreneurship class. Is that what it's called? Or is it's not a class? It's an assessment. Oh, that's and I don't know if they're still doing it, but I have heard it in a couple people's stories that they had to do an assessment. Oh my gosh, that. that is absurd. So crazy. That is insane. And those are just those are the two things that were really like thrown at us. Our whole church was, oh, he's a good teacher. And he's a good businessman, which I don't know that he was either, to be quite honest with you. But (laughs) your job is to protect the flock and to love them and to serve them. There's so many more qualifications. And if you don't qualify, get out for your own good, too. Not just the church's good. In a later episode, we'll talk more about Acts 29 because we're going to do a little. For those of you who don't know what Acts 29 is, we're going to do an episode where we just talk about the history of Acts 29, where it came from and what it is today. Yep. Uh, and also identify some of the key players and who the leaders are. Yep. Uh, most of those names you've heard of before, but some of them you haven't. And mm-hmm. all of it's on their website, so it's not like anything we're uh, speaking. It's not public knowledge. Yeah. So, um, 
Well, that that is um, man. That's some that's uh, that's some good advice. Um, so, John, <laughs> especially because I did not realize the business aspect of church plan. I mean, I do. I, you know, you and I have talked yeah. enough about church planning, and it is way too much of a business. Churches today are way too much of a business. 100%. But I did not realize that that was taught. Oh yeah, that is a new piece of information. <laughs> You're welcome so, for that. You can go ruminate yeah. on that for the night. <laughs> I will go look at that more and more. So, anyways, well, John, thank you so much for sharing your story and the courage to uh, to to the courage to share your story. Really appreciate it. And yeah, you know, I, I just want to apologize again for for all of the the harm and hurt that you went through and. Uh, as a you know, as as my sister in Christ, it mm. it, it broke my heart, and my family's heart to to see you walk, uh, to see what happened to you and your family, and you did not deserve that. But uh, you. you know, I'm I'm thankful that we can reclaim your story, mm. uh, and we re- can reclaim the true narrative and share it with those, and hopefully those that hear it, it will help them not only where they are today, but uh, be a uh, be a warning. Uh, of what to look for in, in church abuse situations. So so thank you, John, and we appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I wanna, in closing, I want to talk about something. So one of my favorite bands uh, among many, and John, John is a musician, and I, I love, <laughs> love music. So we're going to talk a lot about music, yes. too, when we can. But one of my favorite bands uh, is the Gaslight Anthem. And they have a song. It's called Underneath the Ground. Uh, and after the first chorus, there's a spoken part uh, that is subtle. And you probably miss it if you weren't listening for it. Uh, but I listen, I love to read lyrics, liner notes, and so I'm always listening to everything and reading everything that I can. Th- these particular lyrics are say, I caution you to watch out for the wolves, for the mad American weather. I feel the breeze, it warms the cheeks, there are ghosts in this house. We imagine ourselves incapable of horror, but the heart is like a viper, poison, and there are hidden regions in your love. For most of us, we think of church abuse. We think of the recent scandals like Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll, Bill Hybels at Willow Creek, Steve Timmis at Acts 29, and James McDonald at Harvest Bible. We gaze from afar at these scandals and wonder how this could have happened. We judge the abusers and those who were complicit, and we hurt for the victims. But we reassure ourselves that this could never happen at our churches, because our churches are different. And over time, we forget the names of the victims, but we remember those who caused the carnage. We even write books about them, news articles. We make movies, shows, and documentaries. We dissect everything they did in hopes of understanding why. But here we are, with a growing number of stories just like Jonas, from churches that are viewed as good, godly places led by godly men. Toward the end of that same Gaslight Anthem song, there's another part that breaks from the normal lyrical tone. This time, the words are not spoken, but almost yelled from a distance. The lyrics go, I want to caution you to watch out for the wolves in the mad, mad weather. Jonna Harris was the voice in the distance for my church. She was bold and brave and stepped forward to share the abuse she had seen and experienced. And as a church, we should listen to her words of courage, her love of truth, and her hope for justice. For Johnny Harris, I'm Jay Coyle, and this has been the Bodies Behind the Bus podcast. <laughs>